You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast. This is episode number 60, October 18th, 2022. Hi, I'm Sterling Douglas, co-founder and CEO of Chowley, and you're listening to Skip, the secret king of magic on the Tech Chef Podcast. Off-premise strategy, business continuity. About a taste test of restaurant technology, drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu. Cook it up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with the tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Welcome back to another episode of The Tech Chef. This is your host, Skip Kimball, broadcasting from sunny and thankfully hurricane-free Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I am here to bring you a great show with content related to the restaurant, hotel, and hospitality industries. And for our regular listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. And for those of you joining us for the very first time, welcome. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, Be sure to subscribe to our show via your favorite podcast app, software, or service. I am very happy you decided to download this episode and join us here today. It's been a little while since we last spoke because I have been traveling around like a madman with client work and lots and lots of shows. I saw quite a few at FS Tech in Dallas. It was really a great show this year and certainly loved the venue. There was tons of energy out there on the trade show floor. I think everybody was glad that things seemed to be finally back to normal. The networking was some of the best I have experienced at a conference in a very long time. Between vendor dinners and cocktail happy hours, this event proved to be extremely beneficial to most from what I have been told from my colleagues. I think from the sessions that I was able to attend, One of the key takeaways is that the customer is still looking for change and their habits continue to evolve. Long gone are the days of what we considered conventional dining experiences. My advice to all of you is to stay on top of all of the current trends, evaluate them if they are a trend or just a fad, and then move forward full force before you are the one that is left behind. Okay, I'm going to step off my platform now. Today's guest of this show has been a dear friend of mine for quite some time. For some reason, we've always clicked, and I love nothing more than to run into him at a conference so we can hash out the newest trends and also discuss how we can make our industry better. I really wanted to do an episode on real-life data warehousing, data pipes, and of course, visualization of that data. When I replayed back in my history of conversations about these subjects, well, none other than Sterling Douglas came to mind. Sterling is the co-founder and CEO of Chowley, a leading point-of-sale integration company that enables restaurants to expand and maintain a diverse set of off-premise capabilities. Today, Chowley processes over $1 billion in orders annually for its 12,000-plus restaurant partners. With a focus on lean startups and building a business from scratch, Douglas thrives in environments defined by ambiguity and takes challenges head-on while designing creative solutions to the hardest problems. 
He has a natural ability to grow a team and develop processes that are distinctive and unparalleled. Plus, his entire sales team could win Offensive Lineman of the Year. I'm just saying. If there is anybody I wanted to talk data with and you should be listening to, it is Sterling Douglas. Enjoy the show. Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on the show, Skip. Uh, you know, I wasn't ducking you. Uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, trying to get away. You know, it's just a, uh, you know, I just, it took me, I wanted to wait until we had just the right topic to cover, you know, so that we could provide the most value. Um, but yeah, sure. My background, um, you know, co-founder and, and CEO at Chowley, uh, started the, co- the company with my co-founder, Justin, about six years ago. Uh, focusing first on, you know, helping integrate third-party marketplace orders, Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, um, into restaurant point-of-sale systems, help them from tablet hell, help them increase their revenue, help them adopt more off-premise. Um, and over the last six years, it's been great getting, uh, you know, getting our software into over 12,000 locations, you know, across the U.S., um, helping them recover funds, do menu optimization, and a bunch of cool stuff. So it's been a great ride. Well, I know we have been talking at conferences nonstop. We always, we always like to banter and and talk about new ideas and new concepts. And we kind of brainstorm every time we're together, which is kind of fun. I like, I love swinging by your booth and just having those conversations. And you're right. I think this is the right conversation at the right time, just based upon, uh, you know, the past two conferences that we met up. Um, so today it's all about the discussion of data, data warehousing, everything around that concept. I think it's a pretty hot topic. I mean, it, we've been talking about it for years, everybody, the entire industry, but it seems like there's this big disconnect in regards to how to pull it off, you know, the value of the data, you know, what's it really going to provide? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of a misnomer out there. For instance, I'm assuming today, you know, as we go through this conversation, when we talk about data warehousing, you're not going to say, hey, you should go out there and get a SQL server and, and slap Power <laughs> BI on top of it, right? Why, why, would I, why would I recommend something that's kind of already being done? I think that's... <laughs> I think that's the issue is that that's what everybody thinks, you know, data warehousing and leveraging data is, but it's so much more than that. Um, so no, I'm, I'm excited to, to dive into that. I, no offense to Power BI and SQL, like they're, they're, they're great, but there's just so much more to it. The, the use cases and how you can actually use it. I mean, there's a whole data stack that you really got to put together. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to jump into it. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I, I, I'll raise my hand right now because there's probably people listening to the show right now going, how dare you? I've, I, that's exactly what I have in place. And I have put that in place before and I've used it. And it's a cheap and dirty method of getting a data warehouse, uh, a data repository, let's say, um, in place uh, in order to be able to pump out some easy graphics, easy statistics. Some, you know, you have to have some creativity behind it in order to get to pull it off correctly. So I, un- I understand uh, not your animosity towards that concept. <laughs> But, no, it's not animosity. I no. think it's a. Uh, I I think that there's more we can be doing. I think that if that's what you've done, that's a great start. Um, and I think there's elements that provide a ton of value. But I want to talk about the opportunities where we can get even more value out of data. Right. And the good news is, if you have everything sitting in a SQL database someplace, the good part is that you've already collected the data, and it could be used and exported out, and possibly used in some other area in some way, shape or form. So having the data is probably the most important part, we're, but we're going to about talk about taking that thing to the next level. So mm-hmm. first of all, let's talk about the 
the value of data in our industry. You know, what what's out there today that can really be valuable to a restaurant? Yeah, I think the, you know, I've been talking, you know, in, in our conversations and, and to others in this space, I think it's really interesting when we talk about the value of data, right? Because there's this idea that like everybody wants it. You know, I've talked to tons of CIOs where, you know, that's their number one or two priority when, when they start at, at a new enterprise, you know, restaurant group. Um, but the value of data is, is at its simplest. It's there to answer questions. Um, that's the value that it provides so that when you ask a question, you get a data-driven answer, not a gut feel, uh, not a probably, not, well, a couple anecdotes that I've heard recently, you know, tell us that this should be the way to do it. You can get real measurable data, and that's going to give you a much better indicator um, of the success or, or failure or um, the accuracy um, answering the question that you're asking. Uh, so I always like to dive in to see what questions are being asked. Because what I found in my personal experience is when we built up our own data warehouse um, at Chally, I all of a sudden had way more questions than I did before. Because once you start figuring out, well, data can help us with X, data can help us with Y, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, like this, we can make tons of smarter decisions. What about what about this process? What about that process? And so I think that the the true value of data is just being able to answer questions more accurately. Um, and we can dive into to specifics as we as we kind of get deeper. Um, but I think that that's the true value. Yeah. And based upon what you said, you know, it is extremely important to know those questions up front and you will have some discovery once you launch your, your solution. But I, I see a lot of the problems happen where, you know, C-level people will say, well, what about this? Or what about that? If you haven't been collecting the data to begin with, you don't have the data to report on. So it is really important to kind of sit down with all the stakeholders and really analyze what kind of reporting, what kind of KPIs are you looking for in order to be able for, you know, the person running the data warehouse to collect that data and find the sources for it to bring into the data warehouse? Um, yeah, it's a, um, you know, I've had a couple of my my, my mentors, uh, they, and they, a fair amount of them use this phrase. And I know it's commonly used, but, you know, what gets measured gets done. And your ability to easily get access to this data allows you to measure and if you're measuring it, you can drive improvement. Um, and I think data is just at the heart um, of that improvement. That's kind of funny because everybody wants data too. And nobody really knows what to do with it once they have it. Or they realize that, okay, I've got all these data points. I've collected it in my SQL database. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know. And then they spit out a PMIX report. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like they, they do all that work collecting data just to get, you know, a weekly sales number. <laughs> or they realize they don't have the time, you know, maybe a smaller company. Heck, not even a smaller company. I've seen larger companies. They don't have the manpower, the knowledge behind, um, behind the whole aspect of being able to collect that data and spit out the proper reports. So, you know, resources, you know, if you're doing it yourself and building it yourself, resources uh, can be a huge part of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so I think data also needs to be actionable, obviously. And the only way for it to be actionable is if it's accurate and it's timely, correct? Oh, 100%. I mean, you can think about, um, I'll give you a kind of a personal example. You know, Charlie, we used to get um, our financial statements for the month. Um, about two weeks after the month ended. And some of the financials that we get, the data in it was over 45 days old, right? Because you're getting in the middle of the month or stuff that happened in the beginning. 
And we, we really started being able to track um, some of these key metrics on a daily basis. And that means that I can look on a weekly basis and be like, hey, we had a really, you know, we had a rough week last week. Like what happened? And then you can uh, adjust behavior, rules, maybe your new commission structure isn't working as well as you thought. Maybe one of your marketing channels isn't, isn't working. Maybe there's an error in some of your, your flows. And the quicker that you can get that data, the quicker that you can get it fixed. Um, and so timeliness is, is hugely important on that. Um, and making sure that it's accurate is, you know, if you're acting on inaccurate data, you're basically flipping a coin. Garbage in, garbage out. Absolutely. There, there you go. Now, my audience is not all IT based. You know, we have some other C-level positions or decision makers that listen to this show within the restaurant and the hotel and general hospitality industry. Let's not assume anything at this point. Let's mm-hmm. let's break it down to the most simplistic terms because we might be talking about tech, our terminology that they've heard of, but they don't really understand what it's all about. So let's go back to the basics of, you know, what is a data warehouse or even a data lake? Ooh, the newest buzzword. Ooh. Yeah, data lake. That's a data lake is a very cool sounding word. I'll give anytime you can get nature involved. You know, I'm I'm usually all for that. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think one of the things that that I've learned. Uh, as I've gotten more into the data side, just for our own internal data, as I've been talking to different restaurants around the space, uh, it has its own tech stack. Uh, so a lot of, you know, in the development community, there's this idea of kind of a, a full stack developer, right? Someone who there's, you know, your, your database, uh, right? There's, there's the front end, there's your design, and there's kind of the stack. Well, there's actually the same thing in your data, uh, there's there's three main components, right? At, at your base layer, you have what are called your pipes, right? And what your pipes are doing is they're taking data from all of your different sources and putting it into one place. So that means it's grabbing, in, in a restaurant standpoint, it's grabbing your point of sale data, right? But it can also grab your uh, loyalty data, right? You may you may have a separate you know, loyalty program. Uh, you may have a CRM. Right where where you're storing stuff for catering, right? That's outside of the POS, right? You that needs to be piped in. Uh, you may want to try to get reviews, uh, review data, uh, to see what customers are saying, how your ratings are, right? And so you have uh, pipes, right? And these pipes can basically bring in data from all these different sources um, and put them into into one singular place. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there that that do that today. Um, sometimes you can just like this is what we talk about the uh, the SQL databases. Like maybe you're just writing a lot of these you know, dumps, maybe you have an FTP or you're just loading CSV files, ton of different ways to do it. But basically that your foundational number one thing are your pipes. How are you, where are you getting data from your sources? And the next can, level, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it could actually exist outside of your eco-culture too. Like for instance, weather data or traffic data, correct? Oh yeah, no, that's super, uh, that's, that is a great point, especially if you're trying to predict ordering trends, right? When it When it rains, your delivery is going to go up. Right, like there, there, less people are going to want to, you know, walk over and pick up food, whatever the case may be. If it's really hot, you know, you might have better, you know, uh, things. That was the big McDonald's acquisition of Dynamic Yield, so they could, you know, put, you know, an ice cream cone front and center when it was 99 degrees outside on a hot day. Um, so it's a great point. You can do a lot of cool stuff with some of that public data. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I interrupted your your process there. You were talking about to go into your to your second piece of what what this whole data warehousing looks like. Sure. So once you have your pipe set up, then that's getting getting all the data from all these different sources, and they're putting it into a single place. Well, that place is the data warehouse, right? Your data warehouse is your repository. Your repository. These are the series of tables, 
that you have where all the data is stored. Think about uh, a gigantic Excel spreadsheet uh, with tons and tons of tabs, right? And each tab is a different source, right? One tab might have your order data from your point of sale. One tab, one tab might have, uh, you know, your customer information uh, from your loyalty company. One tab might have your catering information from CRM. Uh, but this is where all the data is stored, right? And so this is the warehouse. These are, um, you know, I think one of the most popular companies is, is Snowflake out here. Uh, they, they can just be managed SQL databases um, that are somewhat headless and may not have an interface. Um, but this is where all the data is truly stored and aggregated. This is where all of your pipes lead the data to, right? So you've got your pipes at the bottom. Your next layer is your warehouse. And then on top of that, you've got your visualizations. This is what Power BI is, right? Power BI is taking data from your warehouses and it is displaying it in easy to digest ways. It's just, it's giving you bar graphs. It's giving you uh, pivot tables, you know, single stats. It's telling you your success rates, telling you your food waste, the numbers that are actually more actionable. Um, now, some visualization companies will also have a warehousing uh, component Right, so some companies might do uh, more than one piece of the stack. But when you think about that data stack, you've got your pipes at the bottom, your warehouse in the middle, and your visualization tools on the top. This might sound like an obvious question, but I don't think it is because I know there's a lot of decision makers out there that love static reporting. They love to get their PDF reports at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> so that by the time they, you know, they start business for that day, um, they know where they stand and they know how to how to react to that data. But once again, that old data is not real time. So um, what is what are some of the advantages of having that visualization tool versus your static reporting aspect? Well, the visualization tool is where you can make all the customizations and that's where you answer your questions. Right. We talked earlier about like the value of data is being able to get more accurate answers to your questions. But as we talked about, you don't know all the questions that you can you can ask because you don't know how much your data can actually tell you. And so what ends up happening is, look, every every CIO, every executive, uh, every almost every operator in this space has some type of report that they always look at, uh, right? I mean, even down to a single location mom and pop, if they're looking at a bank statement every month and look at every single transaction, that is that is a report all the way up to some groups who want to say, I need to see my sales, my labor, right? And, and down to those. And so everyone has their own way of managing and write their own different numbers. And so it's the visualization tool can help you get those to get started. But when you're in that meeting and you want to dive deeper and you want to drill down, right? Let's say I get my, my weekly sales report and it looks like weekly sales are down. Well, what part, right? Because is it just our, our delivery sales are down? Is it our off-premise? Was it drive-through? Did we have uh, an outage you know, on our online ordering tool? It was down for a few hours on a busy night? Like, why did this happen? Is this systemic? Was this a one-time anomaly? Do we need to put more sources on it? Well, all of a sudden, if you have a good visualization tool, you can actually get that answer fairly quickly, right? Uh, we use a tool called, called Sigma for ours. And you can literally be like, all right, instead of getting just my total sales for the week, give me my sales from last week, you know, by, uh, you know, dining option or service type. And now when I look at that on a week over week basis, I can be like, oh, 
well, our drive-through sales are down. Why were our drive-through sales down? Oh, well, there's a, there was a hurricane there and it damaged some of it and it took us four days to get it, but it's fixed now. Okay, good. I don't really need to worry about that. That explained. We can focus resources elsewhere. And a good data visualization tool allows you to get answers to questions that you haven't asked before, right? So it's so much more than just getting your one weekly report, uh, you know, every Monday morning. I look at that at another way as well, where, for instance, if you look at a GM in a restaurant, what's their goal? Their goal is to run that restaurant as effectively and efficiently as possible. The last thing that they need to be doing is arriving at the restaurant in the morning and looking at a report to figure out previous day sales, where they stand for the day and trying to analyze this report, this very static, you know, archaic piece of paper and figure out where they really, what their goals are for the week or even for the day. If you had a dashboard where they could just look at big numbers, you you know, it's already been decided upon what the KPIs are for them to be looking at. If they just had that big dashboard for them to look at, uh, it just makes life a lot easier for them. They don't have to be data specialists to figure everything out. They're looking at basic numbers. Okay, we had, you know, uh, 2,000 sales yesterday. We need to do, we're supposed to hit 25. We need to pump out more uh, more sales for the day, for instance. Or even, you know, I've seen some interesting applications of using a data, data warehouse and data streams where, like, for instance, the back of house, they have a big screen up in the back of the house where they're showing live data coming in, you know, stats from the previous day versus today, you know, kind of what the goals are. Maybe even some competitive data of, mm-hmm. hey, the store two miles away is $5,000 ahead of you in sales. How, you know, and everybody starts to internalize and figure out, okay, let's be competitive. How can we match their sales? Or even the timing of things. Okay. Maybe it's taken too long for by the time that guest sits down in, in their chair to the time they get their first drink. Once again, all comes down to your data points, your pipes. And if the more data that you have, obviously, the more interesting it can be in regards to the output that you can provide your team members. Exactly. And I think you bring up another really great point in in your example is that there are different players at each of these companies that need different data. A GM, the things they need to focus on is very different than what, you know, a head of ops or someone who runs a help desk or someone who's running off-premise delivery. There's so many roles um, and data helps them measure what they need to improve. And so having flexibility on that visualization side so that you can spin up these new reports as growing restaurant brands, grow teams, um, but also making sure that the pipes are bringing in more data from all of these sources. um, That's what enables each of these different roles to drive the improvement that they need for their brands. So some of the big buzzwords that float around out there is AI or artificial intelligence. And there are certain people that believe we are a long ways away from AI being effective in the workplace. Now, those people might not have been involved or gone to some of the conferences that you and I go to or read some of the articles that we are privileged to be able to read. Uh, But is AI in conjunction with the data out there? Is that a real thing? And how effective is it? I think that AI gets an interesting reputation. Um, AI is thought to be uh, this crazy, complicated, learning, black box decision maker uh, that no one understands except the smartest people on earth. Um, And I think that if you really kind of peel back the onion and understand what you really want to accomplish with the data, 
it's a little simpler than uh, I think it gets credit for. And I do think it's real. Um, if you look at predictive analytics uh, companies, right? There, let's say, let's 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 talk about scheduling. Um, there are some great scheduling companies that are very popular out there, and when they try to project, you know, labor spend or trying to get you optimize your schedule, uh, most of the the power behind it is, well, let's look at the last ninety days. What was the average? All right. Well, on average, this person comes in. There's this many hours. And then you can use that rolling 90-day average to then project what's going on in the future. Uh, that's a version of AI, uh, relatively rudimentary, but that is it. Um, you can start pairing that, right? So let's go one layer deeper. And let's start comparing sales to the labor. How many tickets are we getting during these hours? Well, we've got, you know, six staff hours going on, but we've got half as many tickets as we do the following hour, right? So now we're taking another piece of data and we're layering it in and we're saying, hey, let's do, you know, peak eight tickets an hour means that we only need, you know, five hours of, of labor during this time. Um, and now we're, we're building another layer of complication. But that is the use case I've seen uh, for AI. And it, it's being used. There, there are companies that do this today. Uh, and it's going to take time for them to get smarter and smarter. They've got to look at more data. They've got to uh, run more, you know, data models. And uh, I, I actually was uh, an actuary, so I have a lot of statistics knowledge. Um, and it's interesting seeing models used in the restaurant industry that have historically been used in tra investment trading, right? Like the stuff that hedge funds use uh, to try to do statistically based trading algorithms there are elements of it that you can actually apply to restaurants uh, to you know, know that you can charge 50 cents more for hot dogs when during baseball season. Um, and, and these little things that you can do to actually you know, build into it. And I think all of that comes under AI. Uh, the whole like machine learning, it gets smarter, it learns from itself. Um, sure, it happens, but it's, it's not as prevalent um, you know, as I think we all think it is. So any CIO or CTO out there that starts to enter into this conversation of data warehousing or commercially available tools that is warehousing the data for them, the conversation of ownership of data is always going to come up. And if it doesn't, then it should be coming up. They, they need to rethink their strategy. Why is owning the data so important to these individuals? Well, they know how powerful it is. <laughs> I mean, look, the obvious, uh, um, you know, I don't know if it's a current event, but look, the fires get started because third party marketplaces and restaurants disagree over who owns which pieces of data, right? Uh, the restaurant believes uh, I'm the one producing the product, right? This is my brand is on the line. These are my recipes. The The product is is the, the meal that I've put together and designed. Uh, it's the experience, it's packaging, it's all this stuff that the restaurant does. So therefore, like this is my customer, this is my data. And the third party marketplaces say, well, I'm the one who paid to get this customer, right? I spent on digital ads. I gave them, you know, $15 of free food. I paid for the food. Um, and therefore like this customer is actually my customer. So therefore it's my data. Um, and I, I, I understand uh, why each party believes it. 
I tend to side with the restaurants biased. Uh, I just, we're a merchant first company. I think running a restaurant business is one of the hardest things you can do. Um, And so I always think of why it's hard and it's situations like this. Um, But the the importance of owning that data, there's a reason that, um, you know, the marketplaces want that keep that data is because they can drive more sales. And they know if that, that data goes to the restaurant and, you know, good CIOs know that if they own that data, they can drive more sales. And so the power of this data knows that you can increase sales if you have it and you properly act on it. And each company wants to increase their own sales. That is their nature. That is by design. Um, and I think that's really what drives the importance. I think that's what drives a lot of the back and forth arguments is uh, each side believes that they should own the data um, because they both know how important it is. Data is king in these days. And data is probably one of the most valuable assets that you have in your company. I'm a, I'm a true believer of that. Um, if somebody's listening to this show and they want to know or they're thinking about setting up a data warehouse, give some advice. Well, I think that you have to make sure you do not take on more than you can chew. Building this data stack is not for the faint of heart. It's not something you can hand one person and just have them crank away at for three months. And then at the end of three months, you've got a great stack and all the data that you need. Um, This is uh, depending on what you're trying to put together and get out of it, a very large endeavor. Uh, So you need to make sure that you are uh, investing a proportional amount of time and energy for the amount of output output you are expecting if if you're a a five location brand and you want to implement something like this like it is a lot you've got to go through a dozen different companies on who's going to do the pipes you've got to look at a dozen different companies on who's going to do the warehouse you have to figure out how those integrations are going to work you have to figure out how you want to structure your data uh, right? Do you want to do an activity-based schema or do you want to do dimensional tables? I know that might not mean a lot to to, to most people, but that's an important decision uh, that comes down. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into it. So if you're going to do it, don't half-ass it, you know, do, do it right or take a more modest and incremental approach. All right. Well, to start, I'm not going to try to get a bunch of pipes and try to get you know, all this data from 13 different sources. I just want two. I just want to connect my point of sale data with my CRM data. That's it. I just want to be able in my CRM when I know that this customer has been here, I just want to know that they've been here eight times, right? Like that's that's the only thing I want to know, right? And so maybe I don't go straight into a giant warehouse option or giant pipe option. Maybe I just start out with something like Looker or Tableau, something that's a little bit easier to sign up. And then as you kind of like get more sophisticated, you can incrementally add on to the stack. You know, unfortunately today, there's just not a good out of the box solution to give you all of the things you need to really fully do this data stack. And so it does take investment. When I look at the size of data teams at enterprise restaurant brands, they're getting bigger and bigger. They used to just have a data person. Oh yeah, you know, that's, that's Jay. And Jay, like anytime there's a data question, you just go to Jay. Right. And then, you know, Jay is a database engineer. He writes uh, the SQL queries. looks like a hero. That's changing. Uh, Now we're seeing, you know, BI teams. Right. We're seeing data engineers being hired. I know, uh, you know, a 500 location restaurant group that is a six person data team. 
right? They have to, that they're, they're managing a lot of this. Um, so I think when I think what not to do, uh, which I think was the original question before I went on my tangents, um, don't take off more that you can chew. Um, and when you're going to do it for real, be willing to make the real investment. Uh, because right now it, it is a lot of work to get there. But I do think the reward is so, so worth it. We talked about a million use cases in the last 20 minutes, uh, right? And there's even more that we haven't talked about that can bring value to your business. Well, and that plays perfectly into my last question for you. You know, your closing thoughts about the best use of data for uh, an organization out there. I think if you're a restaurant, um, there's a lot of use cases. There's, there's, there's cost savings, there's optimizations, there's experience improvements. But I think at the end of the day, if you're a restaurant, primary focus and the first thing you should do with your data is one thing, and it's increase sales. And just mathematically, there's only two ways that you can increase sales. Either get more orders or increase your basket size. Like That's it. So focus there uh, first. And I think that you'll see a very quick impact and you'll see what data can do. And then you'll just get addicted. And then you'll see, oh, it can also do, uh, you know, it can also help decrease staffing, can get better, you know, labor. I can make, we can increase tips. We can, we can do all these other things. But I think at the end of the day, the single most important thing to, to your restaurant business is to get more sales. So use your data to get more orders or increase your basket size. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's got to be number one. And I think it's the simplest to understand. And I think it's the best place to start. That is great advice. Now, at the top of the show, you called me the secret king of magic. I'm officially calling you the secret king of data warehousing. So oh. <laughs> uh, there's going to be some people who like really know data warehousing listening. That might call me out on that. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely, I, I will be the biggest data cheerleader. Uh, I don't know if I'll be the, uh, the king of it. Maybe one day. We'll see what happens. I'll teach you the magic side. So you learn all about being, having smoke and mirrors in your arsenal. <laughs> I'm a big value driver, man. I want, I want to, I want to help make restaurants more money. (laughs) (laughs) Sterling, thank you so much for your time today is so appreciated. I love chatting with you. I always do. Um, but obviously, you know, my audience doesn't always get to have the same amount of time that I have to you. So, um, thank you again. And I look forward to seeing you at the next show. Yeah, me too. Thanks again for having me on Skip and hopefully I did well enough to, you know, come on again soon. Awesome show, Sterling. I can't wait to see you at the next show and continue to collaborate on the vision for the industry. From a data warehousing perspective, there is no doubt you know what you are talking about. If you'd like to reach out to me or the show and leave a comment or want to hear something that has been on your mind or you're trying to solve for, you can do so by reaching out to me via everything social at Skip Kimple or everything at Kinstrata. This includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. You can also go to the website at skipkimple.com for all the archive shows, and you can also hear all these new episodes on the Kinstrata website at kinstrata.io. And of course, you can always email me at skip.kimple at kinstrata.io. Next week will be a show I recorded on the road recently at an NFT minting party for a mom-and-pop restaurant. Hmm, intrigued? I was. That's why I made the trip to the middle of the Midwest 
to see how these people were going to pull this off. It is such a fascinating story that you would be doing yourself a disservice to miss next week's show. I witnessed 90 year olds minting their very first NFTs. Now I know you are hooked to see how they did it. Let's leave it there for right now. And until next Tuesday, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. Oh,